Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 337 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. This is TNC 337 for the week of November 19th. We are almost through the year of 2022. Next week will be the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States of America. Uh, I hope you guys are doing great. I hope you enjoyed the weekend and um, enjoyed some of the boxing. I got to admit, and um, this is a boxing show, you know, I I, I get it, but I got to admit, man, uh, last weekend, I was a lot more interested in football. And, you know, that's just been uh, indicative of some of the matchmaking in boxing recently. We've had a lot of showcase fights, but um, we had some interesting stuff that I'll talk about. Of course, we got a lot to review. Not so much to preview. There's only one major fight card going on this weekend, and that is a massive showcase fight, right? So it's the end of the year. I mean, I think a lot of promotions are trying to shoehorn in a couple of last fights to keep their guys busy, get them in the ring one more time. Uh, we are seeing a few prospects get in the ring by the end of the year, but we do have some stuff to look forward to. I mean, December 3rd, there's some good stuff. December 13th. So there's a couple of decent fights here and there. Uh, but I got to say, overall, man, I mean, you know, as this year is coming to a close, there's been some good things this year in boxing. Don't get me wrong. All right. We've had plenty of good things that we could talk about. And as we get closer to the end of the year, I'll do my year end awards kind of stuff. And we'll talk about the best of 2022. But all in all, man, I'm a little disappointed, you know, and I got to say, I found myself last weekend way more interested in football. And those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw me tweeting about NFL games and stuff uh, yesterday. And I was just kind of watching football and hanging out with with my little baby daughter who turned three weeks old Sunday. <laughs> I know tiny little birthdays, right? Uh, you start breaking it down by weeks and soon it'll be months and all that. But anyway, um, yeah, man, that, that, that's what it was. But, you know, I did check out the stuff, uh, the fights, and we'll talk about it. All right, guys. Uh, super chat already from my man, Aaron, in Australia. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, Mike, when you do road work, do you also get on your bicycle? I developed massive quads from bicycling in my late 20s. Your little girl is adorable, by the way. Thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I really don't get on the bicycle a lot. Um, if I do road work... If it's super, super cold outside or um, raining or something like that, like really, really heavy rain, like I like running if it's kind of misty outside, but if it's like pouring thunderstorm or it's super, super cold or a hundred plus degrees outside or something, like I'll go to the gym and get on the treadmill. And the cool thing with the treadmill is you can, you have all your controls where you could do like rounds and I will do, I'll break it down to like three minute rounds and I'll run. For two minutes or 30 seconds, and then I'll sprint the last 30 seconds, and then I'll walk for a minute, and I'll repeat that. Or sometimes I do where I'll do like a 45-second sprint, 15-second walk, and I'll do that three times in a round. Like you can like break it up and do all kinds of variations on the treadmill. Or if, it, if the conditions are right, then I, I just do my road work outside, you know, just run outside. It's really nice, although it's really hilly here, and I'm still adjusting to that. Um but that's it, man. I don't really do the bicycle. And maybe I should. Um, I've been told that um, even my wife has been telling me I need to start doing rowing. You know, get on the rower at the gym because that's supposed to be really good and, and low impact because my ankles are just busted up after years and years of running. And here the, the, the hills have been busting up my ankles a little bit. 
at least lately, they're kind of tore up. Uh, really, it really affected my training for my last fight last year a lot. Um, so maybe I'll start doing that. But yeah, I, I haven't considered the bicycle, man. But, you know, we did buy bikes here. They've just sat in our garage. We haven't used it once. Um, so uh, maybe we'll start using them finally this year. Good to hear from you, Aaron. Uh, okay, let's let's get right into this, man. Um, some quick news and notes. And um, some good, some bad. Some good, some bad. So um, Spence versus Crawford. The day count is officially at 359. We are almost at a year. And look, we already know. I'll stop doing the count for now. I'll, I'll restart it again next year, okay? But Spence... Um, He's probably going to fight Keith Thurman. The WBC has mandated that, which is hilarious because we all knew that was coming anyway. Uh, we'll talk about that when that fight's officially signed and announced. It'll be crazy, though, that they're probably going to announce it this month and do the fight next month if they try to squeeze it in this year, which would just be insane. If it actually ha happens early next year, that's so bad. That's just so bad. But Terrence Crawford, his last fight is when he fought Sean Porter last November, the 20th, right? So we're almost a year out. And what's interesting, you know, I looked at this. He's fighting David Avenesian this December 10th on that pay-per-view. That's going to that's gonna be a tough sell. But it will be a 385-day layoff by the time Bud finally gets back in the ring and fights December 10th. And... um. I can confirm because I double-checked. That is the longest layoff of his career. So I find it interesting that as he leaves a promoter, top rank, and sues them. By the way, that lawsuit's going nowhere. Um, you guys haven't heard from about it, have you? But, you know, he he's in litigation. He, he tried to sue them. And um, longest layoff of his career. That's what happens. You know, uh, some fighters, a lot of fighters actually really need a promoter. There's only a handful of fighters out there that can truly promote themselves. Anyway, um, yeah, man, it's going to be over a year out of the ring. So I'll let that go for now, my, my day count for Spence Crawford, but we'll start it back up next year after both of these guys have their quote-unquote interim fights. I just think it's absolutely hilarious that we were told so long, you know, the, the, the problem was Bob Arum, the problem was – the net, um, the uh, network deal, you know, with ESPN, all that kind of stuff. And it turns out, eh, not really, not really. None of it was. The problem was the fighters themselves and one particular platform blocking it. So anyway, that's what's up with that. The main news from last week, the WBC, they had their big convention, right? And all of these sanctioning groups have their conventions, all of them. But the WBC makes the biggest news because they're the biggest sanctioning organization. They have the biggest budget. They have the biggest global platform. They are in a zillion different countries. They also uh, have ties in a lot of amateur programs in multiple countries. And uh, so they have a huge, huge platform. Okay. And we know this, right? So, so every year when they have their convention, news comes out, all the sites report on the the, the announcements that they've made. And Keith Thurman and Terrence Crawford, or I'm sorry, Keith Thurman and Errol Spence, that's one of the fights they mandated, which, again, absolutely hilarious. You look at guys like Jerron Ennis. I'm, hell, David Avenesian is more deserving of an Errol Spence fight than Keith Thurman, let alone guys like Jerron Boots Ennis, uh, Stanley Onis, uh, Virgil Ortiz, you know, all those guys, way more deserving of Keith Thurman. But that's, of course, the fight that they mandated because Uncle Al 
threw some ducats their way. They're doing, they're in business together. Um, much like the WBO and top rank. You guys know, I always say that. So anyway, the biggest news, WBC sanctions, uh, Russian fighters and Belarusian fighters. So I'm not going to go into a big, long diatribe about this. Um, cause it's sensitive. It's political. I know that there's a war going on in Ukraine and it's legit. There really are innocent people dying. It's complicated because there are technically people in Ukraine, in certain sections of Ukraine that see themselves historically, ethnically as Russian and want to be part of Russia. It's it's just very complicated thing. Okay. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be any sort of geopolitical expert and break down the whole war situation. However, I can't stand with this decision. And I think if it was pointed in a different direction, again, I'm not going to get overly political, but if the WBC sanctioned, um, dude, look at what happened in Yemen recently. Uh, look at what's happening in Burma right now. There are tens of thousands of um, innocent people that have died just this year in different parts of the world. Okay. And in recent years, the ethnic cleansing we have seen in different parts of Africa, the Middle East, uh, Eastern Europe, Asia, um, the drug violence that we see in Mexico, where hundreds of thousands of innocent people have died, not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, going at a million plus. They're going to hit a million just from the drug wars in recent years, right? Um, no sanctions, no sanctions at all. And there, there's absolutely zero uh, benefit to this in terms of the, the ending the war. Unranking Russian fighters and Belarusian fighters. But let's stick with Russia because, I mean, Russia is the main culprit here. And Russia has a lot of professional fighters out there, right? This year's fighter of the year is a Russian fighter, Dmitry Bivol, which I, I also find hilarious with the WBC's ruling. They're not going to take titles away from their champions. They're not going to do that. They're just going to unrank everybody. But Dmitry Bivol, who's, he's a WBA champion, I should be clear. But they have Artur Baturbiev, right? They have guys like that. Uh, they're not going to take those titles away because, you know, there's, there's sanctioning fees involved. Come on, guys. There's sanctioning fees. Come on. But they're going to take them out of the rankings. Okay, so this is it, – it, look, look, man, I say it all the time. I like a lot of things that the WBC does, and they certainly do more um, to improve the state of boxing in the amateurs and the professional game alike, more so than any other sanctioning group. <clears throat> that is clear. I've worked with the WBC. You guys know that, okay, with the, the, the charity event that I fought on last year. And we helped raise over $100,000 together to help people in need here in the Atlanta area. So I'm very proud of the work I've done with the WBC, full disclosure. And there are, there are folks that work with the BC that I love. They're wonderful human beings, okay? But this is just, in my opinion, an empty gesture and a virtue signal. And there's a certain amount of xenophobia, if not outright nationalistic prejudice. I, I won't say ethnic prejudice. Maybe it is ethnic prejudice against Russian people in this country. There's been hysteria over Russia with the former president, all this, right? And again, I'm trying not to get political, but this is a political thing. There's been a lot of hysteria and it seems like it's just okay to shit on Russian people right now. 
It's just okay. It's a, and my thing is, is Vladimir Putin a scumbag, a fucking scumbag? Yes, we know this. But did Dmitry Bevel do any of this? Did Artur Viterbiev do any of this? Did any other Russian fighter get in a tank and go over to Ukraine and shoot a school? I haven't seen any evidence of that. I haven't seen it. Maybe you guys have, and you can enlighten me and educate me. But I do know that just taking these guys out of your rankings, okay, it's who it's really going to hurt is the mid-level guys who really, really aren't, they're not making millions of dollars and really depend on this sport to put food on their table. Now, I get it. These Russian fighters, they can go try to get ranked with the WBA, WBO, whoever. They can get fights. I get it. It's not the end of the world. There are other sanctioned organizations. These guys, you know, they could go different routes. I understand. My issue with it is, is the hypocrisy. In recent years, there have been fights in Saudi Arabia, which I think it wasn't until very recently that women weren't even allowed to fucking drive. Okay. And if you showed your ankle, you could get stoned to death. I'm not saying that's, you know, happening right now, but there have been atrocities, government sponsored atrocities in that country alone. And by the way, me saying all this, I'm not trying to pretend America is completely innocent here, nor Mexico, obviously, which is where the WBC is headquartered. All I'm saying is there have been big events, Saudi Arabia, other parts of the Middle East, uh, parts of Asia, parts of Africa, where there is government sanctioned ethnic cleansing, institutional racism, sexism. Um, People of, of religious minorities are attacked in, in the Middle East, uh, Catholics, Christians, different people, um, these sorts of things, you know, and, and just um, human rights violations. Let's just put it that way. Even concentration camps in some of these countries. And, and I'm not trying to say the WBC is alone here in their hypocrisy. I know people in the media that front on their social media that they're super, super woke and super with it, man. And they're fighting the good fight, right? And, you know, their carbon footprint's great, and they're trying as hard as they can to be vegan. Then they log off and eat fucking sausage pizza and drive a fucking Hummer. <laughs> but they go over and cover a fight in Saudi Arabia, right? They got no issue with that. They rock Nike gear, which is made by slaves, slave labor in third world countries. So to me, it's just the hypocrisy of it. If you're going to go that route and that's your political worldview awesome that's cool I, I support everyone's political worldview be consistent that's all i'm saying don't be a fucking hypocrite and this move by the wbc hurts the athletes who have nothing to do with this war and what i love is you know i tweeted about this i've talked about it and i get the response from you know the blue check people <laughs> which now the blue check people is a whole new thing on twitter but um it, it, they'll say the same thing well dude if, if we sanction these athletes Maybe there will be an uprising. Yeah, because uprisings happen in dictatorships, you dumb fuck. Name me one dictatorship government in world history where a bunch of athletes pulled together and made an uprising. You can't make an uprising in a dictatorship. You can't. So, so that's not going to happen because you unrank Russian boxers. This is just... Typical virtue signaling. And again, 
we've seen things like this go on in other parts of the world. And I don't think the WBC would be as quick to rush to sanction an African country or a, 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 a Hispanic country, a Latin American country that had an ethnic population, a non-white Hispanic, I'm just going to put it out there, country um, that was you know, predominantly indigenous or, or something like that. Um, they're not going to do that. You know, this, it, it, it just seems to be. It's okay to do this because it's Russia. I don't know. That's what I see. Perhaps I'm wrong. I'm going to have a thousand people triggered online this week. Go ahead and take your clip from this and say what you got to say. But <clears throat> that's just the way I view it. Okay. Let's get into the fight review, shall we? Uh, Friday, November 11th in Sheffield, England, Sonny Edwards. Unanimous decision win over Felix Alvarado. This was the third defense of his flyweight belt. Uh, I would love to see Sonny Edwards either move up to 115 and fight like Bam Bam Rodriguez or uh, some of the old school guys there at 15 or try to find some way of unifying at 112. But it seems like nobody else at 112 is interested in fighting him. I know he's interested in unifying belts, but I don't think they will. He's probably going to have to move up to 115 to get an opportunity. I welcome that. Uh, he doesn't punch that hard, so he's going to have to rely on his boxing skills, which he has great boxing skills. But it will be interesting to see him finally get you know, like a marquee matchup in 2023. I do believe it will happen. He just may have to move up and wait to do it. Saturday, November 12th, we had a few different fight cards to speak of. Let's start over in Manchester, England. Uh, they had a fight card that was broadcast on the zone. In the undercard, a Sheffield native uh, junior welterweight prospect, Dalton Smith, he improved to 13-0 with a solid performance. And uh, Natasha Jonas unifies three junior middleweight women's championship belts with a unanimous decision win over Marie-Yves Dequier. Here in the United States, let's start um, – Let's go right to this one because this is controversy, man. Let's just jump right into some more controversy. That's what we love to do here. Matchroom USA. Matchroom had a busy weekend, man. They had a fight card on both sides of the pond. Here in America, Cleveland, Ohio. This, again, was broadcast on The Zone. Nothing really to speak of on the undercard. But in the main event, Stevie Spark, Aussie Stevie Spark, scores an upset special with a DQ6 win over Montana Love, who... Uh, had his first professional loss. This was a 140-pound junior welterweight fight. So most people, including myself, did not know much about Spark coming in. By the way, the hashtag love Spark, I was seeing that on Twitter all weekend. I'm like, that sounds like a dating app. Love Spark, where you could make love Spark and meet your soulmate. It just sounds like a dating app. Anyway, uh, that just came to me. But, um, I, you know, the only thing I knew about Spark is that he moved up two weight divisions and fought Tim Zhu, I think a year ago, maybe two years ago, uh, in, in Australia, and was stopped. But he went all the way from 140 to 154. So, you know, now you can look back and you say, well, yeah, I mean, he jumped up two weight classes. It makes sense. Uh, but I completely admit I underestimated the guy. I thought this was going to be a blowout win just on paper. You could see that's what they were going for and because that's pretty much all we had this weekend, every every fight was a showcase like that. Uh, the Friday night fight, I thought, in Sheffield, England, between Edwards and Alvarado was the best-looking fight on paper. That's honestly what I thought going in. Um, but I think Stevie Spark uh, surprised a lot of people, including Montana Love. 
you know, getting a really good look at him, wa having watched this fight now between the two of them, um, Spark is not a fast guy with his hands, but he's got good balance and he's an athletic guy. He's a good athlete, just a good overall strong athlete. And um, he showed that against Love. Love has better boxing skills, way more experience, you know, from his amateur pedigree and everything. But even as a pro, he's fought the better pros overall. And um, he had better hand speed. And that was evident right away. It was southpaw versus orthodox, right? And I love being a southpaw. And, um, you know, so you're going to, it's going to get a little bumpy in there when you got an orthodox guy going in there against a southpaw, right? And that happened. I mean, these, there were some entanglements, you know, it did get a little chippy, a little rough. And for Spark, I think he realized right away, like he had to make it kind of rough. He ain't going to sit there in the center of the ring and just box with love. And what was interesting is love, seem to get frustrated by that and it's like dude you're not always going to have an opponent cooperate with you and give you exactly what you want he's kind of been fed that so far in his career right so being in there with a guy that was not going along with the script it was getting a little rough it wasn't giving love every single advantage frustrated love who was dropped in the second round it wasn't like this big knockdown it wasn't like badly hurt and really the knockdown happened because Spark threw like a third or fourth punch at the end of a combination that Love wasn't expecting. And he just got clipped with it and fell down. He wasn't, again, wasn't badly hurt. He was off balance, got clipped, dropped. It happens. It's boxing. But it was enough to give Spark an early lead and make the hometown crowd in Cleveland because Love is from Cleveland get antsy. And then you start getting pride is on the line now. And this guy just punked you in front of your hometown fans. So then love started getting his head a little bit. That's what I saw. By the way, referee David Fields was seeing this too. Okay. I mentioned that because of where I'm going with all this. So uh, Montana love responded well in the third round, but in the fourth round, I thought spark had a, some more moments. He had some more moments in the fifth round. And then we got into the sixth round. Spark had more moments there. You can make an argument after five rounds that Stevie Spark was up three rounds to two, and with the knockdown, that would give him a two-point lead going into that sixth round. I think that's how one of the judges had it. Uh, but a lot of you guys on social media, I looked, uh, and I asked you how you had this fight scored on my Twitter feed, and most of you seem to have that same score, where you had Spark ahead by two points going into the sixth. Even if you had it three to love, which is, I think, two of the judges had that, uh, which you'd have to really bend over backwards to give them that score. But two hometown home cooking judges had that. I don't know where the judges were from, by the way, uh, but it just felt like home cooking. They had them up three two, but again, with the point deduction, they had to fight even going into the sixth round. OK, so this was a highly competitive fight where the underdog was doing much better than expected. And the A side, if you will, was struggling more than expected. So in the sixth round, there's a headbutt. And it was not um, it was not intentional. Both guys were throwing a hard right hand, southpaw, ortho. And with Spark, he actually did a better job at shooting the punch first, his right hand, and getting his head off the line. It was Love who fundamentally... Uh, left his head on the line and his chin up. Therefore, when the heads collided, Sparks had his, his head a little lower 
and got and took the headbutt more on the top of the head. Love got it right by the eye. Okay. So it was a timing thing. It was completely accidental, but it was a pretty bad headbutt. So at that point, we're like maybe halfway through the sixth round. Referee David Fields stops the fight real quick, brings in the ring doctor. And the microphone was right there. DeZone did a good job. Let's give them credit. They got the microphone right in there. And the commentators kind of shut up for a minute and just listened to these guys, to, to listen to the ring doctor and, uh, and Montana Love talk. And then the commentary did a good job of picking up on what Love said. Love said multiple times, I can't see. He told the ring doctor multiple times, I can't see. And then the ring doctor basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, okay? These are not exact quotes, but he basically said, um, well, then I'm going to stop the damn fight. If you can't see, we got to stop the fight. That's basically what was being discussed. Now, mind you, referee David Fields is right there listening to this conference. He's taking in the whole conversation. He's hearing it, okay? People in the crowd not hearing it necessarily, but he heard it and we all heard it because the microphone was right there. Again, good job. I, I, I got to give credit to the crew for getting that mic in there so we could hear this moment because it made a big difference. So um, I definitely think this conversation between Love and the Ring Doctor influenced David Fields a little bit. I think it influenced Montana Love as well. Basically, Love at that point said, well, well I can fight. I want to fight, right? He basically said, I want to keep going. And the ring doc said, I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to watch you for the next minute. That's basically what he said. So action continues again, reconvenes. And immediately Love basically jumps on Stevie Spark and just grabs him and pushes him from the middle of the ring, actually like from one side of the ring, all the way to the other side of the ring into the ropes. He doesn't push him necessarily with his legs. He uses his legs, but he had his forearm up on Stevie Sparks' face and was pushing his head up, pushing like from the chin up, pushing him back. And it was a clear frustration move. There were no punches thrown in this sequence. He was not jockeying for position on the inside to get like a body shot off or an uppercut or a hook. He was just fouling the guy because he was pissed. He was upset. I should also mention throughout the fight, Montana Love's corner was bitching to David Fields about elbows and, and stuff like that from Stevie Spark. I got to say, guys, I watched the fight. Spark did get a little chippy, but I didn't see like any egregious fouling from him. He wasn't rabbit punching. There were no low blows. He wasn't forearming or elbowing. or like, He was getting a little physical for sure. But again, that's what he had to do. He was in there with a much faster way more experienced, more skilled guy. And that's kind of the only chance he had to win. So I thought that the complaining from Montana Love and his team showed a little bit of panic. Um, and they just didn't seem prepared. What, what the fuck did you think this guy was going to do? Stand there and let you punch him? That's what Ivan Baranchek did last year because he was fucking shot. But this guy was doing the only thing he could do to be competitive in the fight. So, so the fact that like this surprised them and they were bitching to the ref, I thought a little too much. It wasn't egregious. And guys, tell me if I'm wrong, but I didn't see anything from Stevie Spark. I'm like, man, take a point from this kid. Jesus Christ. I didn't see any of that. Anyway, so 
Love has him pushed onto the ropes. Now, immediately, and I'll give David Field some credit here. He jumped in pretty quickly. He got in it. However, his position, okay, so let me let me back up real quick. Uh, Sparks' back was to the ropes. <clears throat> Love was pushing into him with his legs, like leaning into him, but also had his hand up, his forearm. It was pulling, uh, pulling, pushing down on um, Sparks' head, which was over the rope. So he was basically bending him over the rope, the top rope. And then Fields comes in from the side, and he came in in such a way where it almost looked like his hand touched the rope. Now, maybe I'm wrong here, but the angle almost made it look like David Fields helped Stevie Spark fall over the top rope. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but the angle I saw, that's kind of what it looked like, and it was completely accidental. But either way, when Fields got in there and said break, Love did not listen to him and continued fouling, and it was a purpose on-purpose foul. He This wasn't accidental at this point. Again, he wasn't throwing punches. He wasn't trying to move his opponent to get position, to like get an angle or something to throw a shot. He was just fouling the guy. Ref comes over to stop it. He continues fouling. What ends up happening is because, again, Sparks, half of his weight was like above that top rope and Love was pushing on him with the forearm, he basically pushed him to where Spark flipped over literally flipped over the top rope and fell out of the ring. So a lot of times, most of the shows I've been to, whether it's a small club show or a big, big show, there are tables all around the ring, like those fold out tables, you know, that you have um, Sunday dinner with your family, you know, in the garage or something, the basement, those kind of tables are like six feet long. Those are usually around the ring because that's where the ring officials sit. That's where the judges are, uh, the ring doctor, people like that, the timekeeper. But there wasn't one right there, which I thought was very bizarre. So I don't know what Ohio does, the commission there, but it was just concrete down there. So <clears throat> it was scary for half a second because I've seen guys get thrown out of the ring at least five or six times live. And almost always I've seen the guys crash into this, these tables. The table usually breaks their fall, but it's usually ugly, dude. Their head smashes into the table. A lot of times it's the back of the head, but I have seen guys land like on the top of their head, the front of their head. I've seen guys land on their shoulder, even their ankle, and like break their, their ankle. I've seen all kinds of stuff like that. But Spark fell, shit, several feet, right? Because the ring was propped up several feet down to the concrete. And somehow, because he's just an athletic guy, he was able to stay with it focus and land on his feet maybe it was just dumb luck but it seemed to me that it was more of an athleticism kind of thing because he fell down it's like he must do box jumps and stuff like that you could just see like he hit the ground and sprung right back up and then immediately ran back into the ring so he didn't miss a beat so props to him so david fields immediately stops the fight and disqualifies Montana love and then chaos ensues and people there in Cleveland are throwing shit in the ring and all this stuff. And the promoter, Eddie Hearn, who's put a lot of money into uh, Montana love and brought a couple events there to Cleveland. They fought Baranchek in Cleveland last year. I think it was like, it might've been 2020, but uh, I'm getting my years mixed up. I'm not sleeping much these days. Either way, it was a year or two ago in Cleveland. So he's he's trying to build a brand with Montana Love there in Cleveland, right? So you expect Eddie Hearn to take 
his fighter's side. And you expect Montana Love to say, oh, this was a terrible decision. I don't agree with it. I got to say, guys, I'm good with the disqualification. If it were me, if it were me, and I, I don't possibly know because, you know, I've never refereed a fight. You know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to actually be a fighter or to be in a corner. I've done those sorts of things, but I've never been a ref. So I can't speak from experience, but I would hope that in that situation, I would have said, you know what? Um, we're going to continue this fight, but I'm going to take two points for Montana Love. And I've seen this. I've seen refs take two points. When you see somebody trying to hurt their the opponent, which Love was trying to do. He was trying to hurt the kid. He was trying to foul him. When you see that, you can take two points. And I've seen refs do this. I would have continued the fight and taken two points from Love. At that point, he would have been down four points or something on um, most people's scorecards. Because that was a 10-8 round anyway. Or, I'm sorry, a 10-9 round for, um, for Spark. And then after that, it would have been a 10-7 round, right? So he would have been down like four something, maybe five points on some scorecards at that point. He would have been in a big hole, and he would have had to dig himself out of that. So we would have gotten to see what Montana Love is really made of. And perhaps he could have came back from that and won, which would have been high drama, and it would have been the, the win of his career so far. Maybe Spark jumps on the opportunity and and gets a knockout or something and, and, and shows you know he has this amazing moment and scores one of the biggest upsets of 2022. So we kind of got robbed of that, you know, a little bit, both the fighters and their fans. But in the end, I'm cool with the decision David Fields made. And I think some people are being a little too harsh on him, given everything I said leading up to this moment. Montana Love did himself no favors by saying what he said to the ring doctor. His body language, the entire fight, bitching and complaining about this guy using his uh, elbows, or I think he was complaining about elbows, instead of just fucking fighting. Let your corner do the talking. You just fight to go about your business. But he was bitching and moaning and complaining too. Um, all those things. And then the body language of immediately after that conference with the ring doctor, running over and like grabbing your opponent and throwing them into the ropes, no punches thrown, no, no like boxing moves there. It was like WWE shit. He really did himself no favors with that entire sequence of events. So, you know, I, I give David Fields a pass. Now, look, do I want to see a rematch? Uh, sure. We can do a rematch, but you know, Montana love was talking about that after the fight and he was making it seem like he's got the, control here and he gets to dictate terms not nah, dog you gave that up you screwed that up here right um so stevie spark should be able to dictate terms now he's not necessarily a huge star in australia although now his brand will be a little bigger over there for sure but i don't think they're going to entice montana love to go over to australia for the rematch they're probably going to go right back to cleveland but if i'm stevie spark and his team i'm saying motherfuckers you're doubling my money you are doubling my money to come back to America because this is crazy. I came over here once. You threw me out of the freaking ring. So if you want me to come back, right back to where we just fought, yeah, you're going to double my money. And he's in a position to do that. We shall see. I think it's worth mentioning that Love, uh, he fought Kenneth Sims Jr. in 2018. And that was supposed to be a win for Love. And he had a very, very tough fight that ended in a draw. And they never rematched. Now, 
you know, it's 50, 50, but you know, maybe it's both sides not wanting it, but I got to think that that's more on Montana love side, not wanting that rematch. If I'm wrong, guys, correct me, but they never had a rematch there. And it felt like, you know, maybe love got away with one. Right. And, and Sims has gone on the show that he's a pretty good fighter, right? He He's not a guy that's been hyped a lot or whatever, but he's carved out some good performances recently. Never saw a rematch. So are we going to get a rematch here? I don't know. Um, also, a lot of people talk about, you know, listen, everyone right now is on Twitter and stuff saying that Montana loves a hype job and he sucks. Okay. Slow down with the hyperbole. This was one night. I think clearly love and his team underestimated this guy. I'm not going to get into the reasons why, but they underestimated him. Okay. The guy was brought there for a reason. It didn't work out. Who's to say that they don't do a rematch and give the kid you know, double the money, everything I said, and this time take him seriously and show up. And what if love dominates the rematch? Are you guys going to say that he sucks then? So slow down with that. On the other side of that coin, when he knocked out, when he stopped Ivan Baranchek in their fight, I think it was like three rounds. It was a year or two ago. A lot of people got really excited about this kid. It was a fantastic performance. But he was fighting a completely shot fighter who has not fought since and should never fight again. So uh, Baranchek was coming off a brutal fight where there were multiple knockdowns. Remember that fight of the year right before he got in the ring with Sims. Probably came back a little too soon, right? Actually, we know he came back a little too soon. So people just over-exaggerate. They want to either call this, this fighter the next big thing or the next hype job. The next you know, guy who got exposed. Everyone, what do I always say? Pump the brakes. Let this play out. Let's see how it plays out. I just hope that if they do the rematch, they do it the right way. I, I do have to mention, um, I saw almost this exact same type of thing happen last year at a club show here in Atlanta. Where and it, was, it was this kid, a really highly touted prospect, made his pro debut. And he was favored to beat this opponent type of guy. And the opponent was fighting him tough. And getting a little chippy, same kind of thing, because, you know, he didn't have the physical advantages, so he had to get a little physical. And the A-side prospect kid got pissed off, and they got tangled up on the ropes, and he did the same move where he kind of pushed him like this, and the kid fell out of the ring, ended up getting hurt. He ran back in the ring, and they they started – they he jumped in the ring, and they tackled each other and started fighting, like, like on the ground. Ref had to break him up. Ultimately, it ended in a disqualification. So um, this is highly, it's, it's not like this is unprecedented. This sort of thing happens. And I think David Fields, yeah, maybe he could have just taken a point or something, but I, I personally have no problem with the disqualification. No problem. You guys got to think of everything Fields had seen before that incident leading up to it. Okay. Um, all right, let's see. Did I miss anything? Yes, I did. One super chat real quick. I want to get to this one foot out the door with a super chat. Thank you so much. He said, uh, what's worse losing by decision or disqualification? Well, there you go. That's, that's the big question here. And then you get into the psychology of this thing was Montana love looking for a way out, blah, blah, blah. I don't think he was looking for a way out. I truly don't believe that. I think he was really frustrated. He goes, this slow, pasty-ass Aussie guy knocked me down in front of all my friends. 
and he's winning rounds. He's putting leather on me. What the hell is going on? And he was just pissed. And now he's headbutting me. Now I'm bleeding. Shit. And so he reacted. It, it, that just shows that he was in his head. And his team was doing him no favors by constantly bitching to the ref. Dude, talk to your fighter. Calm him down. Give him instruction. And just, you know, figure out why those right hands from Stevie Spark are landing. How about that? How about, you know, hey, man, how about move your fucking head? How about faint? We know he's shooting the right off, off your jab. So, so how about faint? So when he shoots it, you can counter. You'll Just some instruction. That wasn't happening in the corner from what I could see. I just saw them complaining. It almost looked like they panicked after that knockdown. Uh, so, so the whole team got a learning lesson this this weekend. But uh, what's worse, losing by decision or disqualification? Look, now with the disqualification, uh, Montana Love can save face and say, "Oh, we were on our way to coming back and beating this kid." That's that's what he said after the fight. We were going to take him into to the deep waters. That was the whole plan. Okay, well now you can say that, but there's always going to be kind of a question mark here. Um, so the only way they can fix all this is to do it again. That's it. If they do it again, I expect to see a much sharper Montana love, and they will have the benefit of watching six rounds, five and a half rounds of action that they can look at and see why Stevie Sparks landed them right hands, and they can adjust for that. Can Stevie Spark make adjustments and improve on what he did? That I don't know. So in a rematch, I got to say, all things being even, I'd probably favor Montana Love to win by decision. I, I would, but I still want to see it. And I could be totally wrong, man. Maybe we're sleeping on Stevie Spark. Maybe we're just sleeping on that kid. But, um, you know, he definitely showed that he belonged. He, he's definitely uh, more than we thought he was because we hadn't seen the kid, right? All right, let's talk about some other fights. Uh, top rank, Las Vegas, ESPN+. Plus. The return of Senecia Estrada, scoring a unanimous decision win over Jasmine Gala Viarino. That was the second defense of her minimum weight title. She shook, shook off a lot of rust in this performance. Uh, it wasn't her most inspired, most exciting performance, but she shook off a lot of rust. That's basically the theme of this whole card. Uh, to me, the whole card was just kind of a little underwhelming. There was high skill level, some good action. But you just didn't see the explosiveness or anything there, the passion in some of the performances. But uh, I like Estrada. I think she's one of the best female fighters in the world. And I hope that top rank gets her in the ring three, if not four times in 2023. That's what we need to see with her. She just needs to fight more. In the main event, Janabek Alamkanala scores a unanimous decision win in 12 rounds. Uh, middleweight title fight against Denzel Bentley out of the UK, who, uh, you know, again, was kind of brought in here. I, I get that. I think this was a um, mandatory type situation or something with the WBO. Uh, I could be incorrect on that, but um, I think it had to do with the ratings where they had to fight this guy. And the scouting report coming in is that this guy didn't punch very hard and that, you know, uh, I thought perhaps Alan Carnola maybe took the guy a little bit lightly. Because he ended up winning, I think, like 116, 112 is basically the feeling most people had. I know one of the judges scored it way wider than that. But he won the fight clearly. It's not like there was any controversy here. He won the fight clearly. But he didn't destroy dude, right? He didn't shut him out. He didn't um, look very explosive. He didn't badly hurt the guy or beat him up. So 
a lot of people were talking trash all over Twitter and stuff. And, and again, this is just, you know, just like talking about the last day with Montana love. Now, suddenly Janabek Alam Kanala is overrated. He's a hype job. He's one dimensional. He fights in patterns guys. It's one night. Now, if you've watched all what I think he has 13 professional fights, which is a problem, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But if you've watched all his fights, and this is a pattern you've seen in all of his fights, okay, I'm with you. If that's just something that you've seen and, and that's your scouting report on him, okay, cool. But if you're basing that upon this fight, because literally five minutes before this fight, everyone called this guy the boogeyman. And then five minutes after this fight, now he's overrated. He's a hype job. He's going to lose to Charlo. He's going to lose to you know any of the top guys at 160. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I'm hearing. Um, I just people just overreact so much. Let's talk about Janabek just a little bit, okay? Uh, is he overrated? I don't know. I, I I do think that there were some people jumping on the bandwagon a little too quick, saying this guy is the next superstar. He's a better fighter than Golovkin. He's the best fighter ever out of Kazakhstan. Like I've seen tweets like that, okay? I have seen those tweets. Yes, that's way over the top, but it clearly. He's been avoided, clearly. D Demetrius Andrade not only dumped his belt, but left the motherfucking division to avoid this guy. Demetrius Andrade, the guy who hasn't fought this year, okay? The guy who desperately needs a fight and a payday, was willing to dump the belt, the only leverage he has, and move up to a new division to avoid fighting this person, okay? So clearly he's being avoided for a reason. People see something. Now, does that mean he's on Golovkin's level? No. So are there some people out there get, going a little too fast? Yeah. What do I always say? Pump the brakes. What I've already said in this episode. Here's the thing with Alam Kanawa. He went pro six years ago. He only has 13 fights. So basically, the second he went pro, pretty much, right? I'm, I'm exaggerating. A year or two after going pro, how about that? He's become a twice-a-year fighter. He signed with top rank in late 2018, fought four times in 2019. So he was really active. They're really doing a good job with him in 2019. Now, I don't know if something changed with his contract, the, the purse guarantees or what, but from that point forward, they've had him in the rotation like a typical quote unquote star fighter today. You get one fight in the spring, one fight in the fall. And a guy like this who's being avoided it's, it's going to be difficult for him to build up um, to build up a fan base. You know, um, the genius of Tom Loeffler and what he did with Golovkin, and I know I've said it a thousand times on the show, and I, I drive people nuts by repeating shit. It bears repeating. When Golovkin came over here, that dude fought four times a year. There were a couple years, like, seriously, I, I want to say within like a three-year period, he fought 12 times. And that is where he built his brand and he was fighting guys at this level, maybe a little better than this level. Some of them, but some of them were at this level and he was flattening them, destroying them styles, make fights and all that. I get it. But the reason why Golovkin was so sharp in those fights, I think this is just my personal belief is because he was so active for Alam Kanala. He's got to get more active. He needs to fight three times next year. If that means taking a pay cut, taking less money, you know, a smaller purse, then that's what you do. That's what I call making concessions. Make concessions. It, it, also, 
If you're being avoided, again, I'll use Golovkin as an example. They were being avoided. So what did Golovkin and his team do? They paid more money to the opponent. They took less money and gave the opponent money. He was a champion technically at that time, Golovkin. And he was basically 50-50 with the challenger in terms of finances. They were giving half the money to the opponent just to get these people in the ring with him, okay? If that's what Alam Connolly has to do, then that's what he needs to do. It's up to top rank to negotiate that and make that happen. So uh, we'll see what happens going forward. But am I ready to say that Alam Connolly is a hype job, overrated, one-dimensional, going to get beat by Charlie? No. It's ridiculous. It's one motherfucking fight. And guys, some of you have such short memories, it, 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 it baffles me. There's a, there's a pattern, particularly with top-ranked fighters who are being avoided, of having performances like this right before a big, big performance. We've seen this kind of stuff from Lomachenko, Tiafima Lopez, um, Jamel Herring. I can keep going. Where you pull back a little bit, you get in there and spar with a dude. You clearly win, but you don't look great doing it. And then suddenly, the big fight you've been wanting happens. Suddenly, people are willing to get in the ring with you. Then you show out and have a great performance. Look at what Dimitri Bevel did this year. From the same part of the world as Alam Kanala. Central Asia is different. It's Eastern Bloc, motherfuckers. Same part of the world. Okay? Because I know one of you is going to jump on me. Same part of the world. Kazakhstan, Russia. It's like Italy and Greece. Same shit. Okay? So the mentality is go in there, punch the clock, show up for work, do what I got to do, go home with the W. Dimitri Bevel, the last few years, kind of been under the radar because he hasn't been inspired, hasn't been in there with the greatest opponents in the world. Stayed sharp. Cap waiting, cap waiting, cap waiting. Made massive concessions to get the Canelo fight. Massive concessions. Got it? Whooped his ass. Who's to say Alam Kanala can't do that over the next few years? Now, again, I'm not saying, I'm not putting him there on Dimitri Bevel's level. Not doing it. Not doing it. And Bevel has fought much better guys coming up than Alam Kanala. I'm just saying as an example, everyone, okay? Stop overdoing it with your reaction to, the, to one fight. Just chill. Let it play out. Let it play out. Stop having such short memories. All right. Uh, so yesterday, Sunday, November 13th, Floyd Mayweather fought some guy I've never heard of. I have no freaking idea who this Deji guy is. I really don't give a shit. Floyd beat him. I don't even know if it was a knockout, unanimous decision. I don't know because I didn't watch. I saw a bunch of you guys on Twitter were. I don't know if you paid for it or if you were streaming it. Don't really give a shit. If that's what you find entertaining, good for you. I wasn't watching it. I was watching NFL. The game yesterday between the Buffalo Bills and the Minnesota Vikings was one of the most entertaining games I've ever seen. It's flat out the best game of this NFL season so far. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that game, and I should mention I'm a casual fan with football, definitely not a diehard, but I do know I, I'm pretty knowledgeable about the NFL, okay? Definitely not as knowledgeable with college football, but I'm pretty knowledgeable, historical and stuff like that, pretty good with college or uh, pro football. Anyway, I got to say, I was more entertained by that 
Vikings-Bills game than pretty much any other fight I've seen this year in boxing. Um, there's only a handful of them that get that are up there. That's not good. Not good. I hope it changes. But that's what I was watching yesterday. Um, you know, the, the whole Floyd Mayweather thing, the exhibition, clearly the guy has issues with the IRS. It's not going to be reported by people in the media. There's only a handful of people that have access to Floyd and they just lick his nuts. They, they stroke his sack. They nibble on his foreskin. That's what those guys do. They're not going to find out exactly what's going on. But clearly, Floyd's traveling the world and fighting in places like Dubai, not Vegas, where you got to pay, you know, in America, you got to pay taxes, you know. He's fighting in different parts of the world where it's easy to hide some money and, you know, because there's some tax issues. Now, are we ever going to know the full truth of what's going Probably not because of what I just said with the media guys, right? Um, they're more interested in keeping their access, whatever. And anybody that's willing to ask real questions, those guys are blacklisted, right? And then the minions in the media will even go after guys that ask questions uh, with personal attacks and stuff like that on Twitter and stuff. You guys have seen, you've seen all that stuff. But I don't give a shit. I, I am not mad at Floyd Mayweather at all for taking money from morons. I'm not mad at him for that. It's free money. Floyd has admitted on air, in interviews, he has admitted that this is like stealing. He's done five or six of these, and I'm including the Conor McGregor fight in this. Should have been an exhibition. The Nevada State Athletic Commission says it wasn't. I don't give a fuck. It was an exhibition. That was his first exhibition fight. And then there's been like five of them after that. Good for him. People out there want to pay for this. Now, look, if, if you just love watching a good freak show and that's why you pay for this, I get it, dude. If you got the money, if you got the means financially to do it, cool. Enjoy yourself. I think there are a lot of idiots out there who actually think these are competitive fights. And there are people out there who actually thought Deji had a chance of winning. There are people out there who thought Logan Paul had a chance of winning, et cetera, et cetera. And so they paid money for this. There are people, um, you know, in, in the, the venue who went and paid a lot of money for tickets and stuff. Cool. Have fun. I think you're dumb, but have fun, <laughs> right? You probably think I'm dumb for some of the things I spend my time doing, right? That you that you wouldn't agree with. Oh, hey, that's cool. But I'm not hating because I don't watch this shit. That's not me being a hater, Okay. It's just me not being interested. I have no issue with Floyd taking free money from these suckers. Keep doing it, Floyd. But clearly there is a story here. So I, I don't watch the fights because I'm not interested. It's all pre-scripted anyway. It's, yeah, anyway, I'm not even going to get into that. Um, the, people still think the Conor McGregor fight was competitive and that Floyd didn't carry him. And, you know, he bet on which round was going to end. And then it ended in that round. And, yeah. Anyway, the story here is that why is Floyd doing this? A guy who refused to fight outside of Nevada for the bulk of his career once he became uh, Money May, right? Um, you know, basically was the economy of that state for some. They delayed his prison sentence so he could fight, okay? That's how much he ran that state. 
now suddenly is fighting in all these different exotic locations and stuff like that. We don't really know how much the purse is. There's this loose reporting, right? Um, clearly, there's some sort of financial issue going on with him. There's something going on with the IRS. He needs money for some reason. Because if this was just about him fighting to stay relevant or because he loves it, he'd be fighting in Vegas. He'd be fighting in Vegas where all his family and friends are. And he runs that state in the commission. They're all, they're on a first name basis. They hang out together and shit. And they do favors for Floyd, right? We all remember the TUE that they sold to him for like $100,000 to make the whole IV gate thing disappear. Like, like, again, they delayed a prison sentence for this man for beating the mother of his kids. So why isn't he fighting in Nevada? So my whole beef with this whole thing, if I have one, is that, the media folks who Floyd actually lets in the gym aren't asking questions and digging and doing some investigative reporting and figuring out why this is happening. That's my only issue. That's it. As far as the fights themselves, don't give a flying fuck either way. Okay. <clears throat> Time for the preview. Let's do it. And by the way, um, no disrespect. Again, if you guys enjoy the, the the freak show and you pay for that stuff, again, I get it. You know, I think midgets are hilarious. So, like, I follow some of you guys are way too young to know who this is, but Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show. Follow him on social. Interact with him on social. I follow Bobo from, from the Opie and Anthony show, and we chat. So, so like th those dudes are hilarious. Like, I find that kind of humor funny. I went to the Micromania tour, Midget Wrestling here in Atlanta the last time they were in town. That shit is hilarious. Some of you guys might think I'm crazy for spending my money on that. I mean, the tickets are like 40 bucks. But still, some of you, you know, you're spending money on a Floyd Mayweather Deji pay-per-view. I spend it on Micromania Midget Wrestling. We all have our things, you know. We all have our guilty pleasures. <clears throat> Trent Napria with the Super Chat. Thank you, Trent. He said, seen brutal KO ringside at Palm's top rank, 18 years old. Oh, yeah, at the top rank show. So there was some brutal KOs. Oh, I missed that. Oh, no, you know what? I know which one you're talking about because uh, I saw a clip of that out there. Uh, who the hell was it? It was little guys, young guys. Give me a name. Give me a name because, um, yeah, I've, I know which knockout you're talking about. It was a nice one, but I can't remember the names. Yeah, I didn't watch the undercard. I got to admit, um, I did not watch the undercard at all. Okay, guys, uh, real quick, fight preview. Not a whole lot going on this weekend. Saturday, November 19th, Zanford Promotions doing a card in Guadalajara, Mexico. This will be uh, broadcast on The Zone. Jaime Munguia going up against an Argentinian that we've never heard of. Gonzalo Gaston Correa who was KO'd in the second round by Janabek Alamkarnala in 2020. Funny, huh? Funny how this works. We're talking about Janabek, and it just so happens this guy stepped up once, and it was against Janabek, and he was flattened in two rounds. That's who Jaime Munguia is fighting. The silver lining for Jaime Munguia, and I've been telling you guys all year what Jaime Munguia's plan is, and I just I feel like I'm being ignored. I feel like I'm the only person in the media saying this. Golden Boy Promotions. It, it's more so Mungia's actual team. They're waiting for Golovkin. They couldn't get the Golovkin fight this year because Golovkin got the third Canelo fight, right? 
You had Murata and then Canelo. Those are two massive eight-figure paydays for Golovkin. That's the direction he's going to go. But in 2023, the door will be open at some point. I think Golovkin has a mandatory he has to take care of first. But there will be a door open for a fight between Mungia and Golovkin, and that's what they're doing. They're basically biding their time and keeping the O until they get Golovkin. They are doing at 160 with Golovkin what guys like Plant and Saunders and everybody else are trying to do with Canelo. Now Andre's up there going to try to do it with Canelo. Just win the Canelo sweepstakes, right? That's all Mungia is doing. So, and, and I don't want to hear anyone say, no, 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 that's not what's going on. Yeah, that's what's going on. Watch when they fight next year. And then everyone in the media, this is their plan all along. I'm the guy saying it right now, not then when it's safe to say it. <laughs> uh, silver lining for Mungia. This is his third fight of the year. So at least he's staying busy. And it's sad that a guy fighting three times a year is considered super busy, but it is in this era. So he is staying busy. This will be his third fight of the year. Uh, he's dominated his opposition. He'll dominate this kid. Um, and at some point next year, perhaps we will see Golovkin and Mungia like in Mexico City or something. And it'll be a big event, and Golovkin gets another eight-figure payday if and when that happens. And that's, I'm telling you guys, that's the plan. It's pretty obvious, right? I'm not saying anything that's like, oh, wow, Mike's a genius. It's just pretty obvious if you look at what's going on. Okay. Um, super chat from Bang Mateo. Thank you so much. He says, salute, Mike, and congrats on you and your family. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> okay. Let's jump to some calls real quick, shall we? As I lose my voice here. Let's jump to uh, 336. What's up? You're on the show. Let's jump to uh, 336. What's up? You're on the 336. Show. Yo. 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good, man. Yo, turn down the TV because I'm hearing you. I'm hearing it back in my headphones. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> sorry about that, bro. That's all good, yeah, man. Yeah, I concur. With you. I don't be an echo. Yo, Floyd is driving around in cars working one of people's house. What is wrong with these people? Yo, anyway, Fernando Vargas' son, Emiliano, look nice. Ooh, that left hook, real nice. But he got tapped a lot, I noticed. So he better be very careful. If he gets in there with somebody that can clock, mm. he better be careful. Fernando better get him on his defense a little bit better. Uh, as far as Alim Khalouli, <laughs> that's according to the ESPN commentators, that's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Let's not, let's not jump on him too hard. I like his style. He's kind of like Bivol, but he's a little more jerky. Yeah, but I like I like him. I like him. I think he's got a lot of potential there, and I'm sure he'll come back in his next fight, and he'll look a lot better. But Denzel, I've seen Denzel fight, and I was not impressed. Yo, that man came to fight, and he was not playing. He took yo, he took some licks in that last round, man. I I don't even know how he was standing up. But props to him. Respect, brethren, from the UK. 
Ah, uh, that's about it. Hope everything's going with the family, and the baby. How's, how's the wife doing, man? How's she, how's she feeling? She's how's she doing, doing, man. She's doing. She's just um, <laughs> healing up, man. Okay. Healing up. She wants to, like, start working yeah. out again. And the doctor's like, you can't. You got to okay. wait. So she's just trying well, to be patient. Yeah, she got to wait a little bit. Okay. Yeah, don't let it get too far ahead of us, though. Yeah. That's Yep. Anyway, it's been a fun, pleasing pleasure. And I will speak to you again probably Friday. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. You having a Friday show? We'll see. Last Friday, man, I wanted to. I was just too damn tired, brother. I just, I took a nap, man. I was so tired, but I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to. Yeah. You didn't see the Barrera uh, patent. Oh, no, I didn't. No, no, because I know you emailed me about that. Uh, How how did they look? How did they look, man? That really did look good, man. Okay. The real really could have done he won't sit up. But uh yo, Hatton looked nice. Okay. But, you know, he said, Well, he just wanted to get in the ring that last time, just prove something to himself. I don't know what they really proved, they're friends, so it wasn't really, you know, a throwdown. But you yeah, know, that was, was like that was like a true game. exhibition, right? Because I think it was like eight rounds. Yeah. See, that's right. what I'm saying, man. Like they marketed yeah. it that eight, way. Two round. Yeah. Yeah, see, I got no problem with that because you're marketing it as an exhibition, man. That's happened in boxing for for years, bro. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all it's all real. It's no fake shit. But yo, anyway, as I said, keep on pushing, brother. Keep that show going, man. And great callers. You got people with knowledge. It's fantastic. What what are you getting on this new thing, anyway? Or what is that, anyway? New what? This is a new platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I still, I, I can't announce any, everything just quite yet, but okay. I will when I can. Right, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right, man. You take care. Say yo to everybody. All right, brother. Bye, brother. All right, BLT in the house. There he goes. There he goes. Got a couple more super chats from, uh, we got one from Sam. What's up, Sam? Thank you. Says the thing that should have decided uh, the thing that should have decided was if Spark wasn't hurt bad, then take two points, but if hurt bad, then the DQ. Yeah, I thought about that, Sam. So what, what Sam is saying, guys, is that what David Field should have done in that Montana Love uh, Stevie Sparks fight is since Sparks Spark wasn't hurt very bad, then just take two points and let him continue. If he did get hurt, then obviously you have to disqualify it and the fight because one guy couldn't fight. The only thing I'll say to that, Sam, because I thought that, and I was going to mention it in my rant, but I thought about it, that would be inconsistent, right? The way it's supposed to work is a rule is a rule is a rule, and you're not supposed to break a rule. And I think David Fields was just trying to, I guess, be consistent in that moment and say, man, you throw a dude out of the ring, that's it. You're DQ'd, whether he lands on his feet or lands on his face. You're DQ'd. That's it. And I, I, I think I don't. I obviously don't know what's in the man's head, but that's my assumption, is that he was just trying to be be fair and firm on that. You know what I'm saying? But I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Where you take two points there and let him keep fighting, man. That, you talk about high drama. It would have been high drama at that point. Uh, so that's what I would have done. But um, you guys, by the way, uh, you've corrected me. Um, it was Emiliano Vargas who scored that nice 
knockout on the top rank undercard against Julio Martinez. Um, and it was lightweights. So that was just his second pro fight. And the guy he was fighting, that was just his second pro fight as well. So it was a sweet, beautiful looking knockout. But as BLT said, he got touched a few times, right? He's got some things to work on. So we love knockouts. Awesome. It definitely gets his name out there trending, but let's not say the guy's ready for a world championship quite yet off of that. Um, Okay, let's go back to uh, – oh, we got some more Super Chats. Real quick, before I go back to the phones, we got Bang Mateo with another one. Thank you, Bang. He says, Mike, any news on your boss, Anuli? Corner was criminal. As far as I know, guys, he is still in the hospital. Yeah, as far as I know, your boss, Anuli, is still in the hospital. So um, as soon as I get any kind of update, obviously we'll talk about it here. But as far as I know, still in the hospital. And what's funny is – People talked about that for like a day or two and then gone, right? Nothing. No one's talking about it. On to the next thing. Um, That's part of the problem. Part of the problem. Sam with another super chat. Thank you. He says, I thought Yard was fighting better BF next. That's what I heard. I heard that uh, Arthur better BF has to fight Anthony Yard next because I think it's a mandatory. And it just is what it is. And then um, obviously, but better BF should win that fight. And then him and Beevil would hopefully fight next. Um, <clears throat> Sam is asking if, yeah, medically induced coma. That's right, Sam. So guys, just just so you know, um, your, your boss Anuli is in a medically induced coma. That's when the doctors place you in a coma when there's like a swelling on the brain, a brain bleed to try to get everything to calm down so they can monitor everything. Just basically slowing everything down in your nervous system. I, I'm abbreviating. It's it's obviously a lot more complicated than that, but so they can keep an eye on what's going on and monitor things. And they'll keep him in that state until they feel it's safe to let him wake back up. So the fact that he's still in that coma, obviously that means they feel they don't feel comfortable enough yet for him to, to, to come out. So um, that's what's up. <clears throat> All right, back to the phones. Looks like we got Nacho here. Nacho, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, Mike, what's going on? Uh, not much, just uh, listening. Yeah, that's a that's a sad state of affairs that, uh, like you just said, your boss and Newley's in a coma. We talked about it for a few days, and then it seems like everybody's just kind of forgotten about it. I really hope that, um, we kind of bring it up from time to time, at least until we find out that he's going to make it. It kind of sounds like they put him in the same type of coma. They put uh, Adonis Stevenson in after he got knocked out yep. by uh, Gavognik when he lost. So if Stevenson can recover, hopefully your boss and Newley can recover too. Um, at least that's, that's what we're all hoping for. Um, as far as the fights, like you said, Mike, it was really a light weekend. Um, <clears throat> the... Uh, uh, Janabek fight, I think to a certain extent, like you said, Mike, the fact that he's only fighting twice a year is definitely a factor because he's not going to look 100% sharp every time, especially when a guy only fights two times a year. Right. Um, it, it should be on him and his team to tell Top Rank, look, we'll take less money as long as you guys keep us active. Right. Like right now, he's not a star. It doesn't make sense for him not to be fighting 
at least three, not if not even four times a year. Um, he's young enough to where he could still do it, and you know it would help him get sharper, and it would help him kind of put his name out there. This whole idea that because his minimums are so high that he can't take a pay cut to fight more often, that's just asinine. I think his team and his trainer should be kind of throwing that out there to him and just kind of trying to get him back out there um, sooner rather than later, not just twice a year. Um, you know, uh, Ben Lee did his thing. You know, he was tough, and, and you got to give the guy credit. He went 12 rounds. Um, but to a certain extent, um, he he made Janabek look very ordinary. And I'm not buying this whole idea that some people have thrown out there about how Janabek did that intentionally to try to get certain guys to fight him. I think he just had a bad night, and unfortunately, the the byproduct of it was he didn't get a knockout and he didn't look great. But hey, he got the win, and that's all that matters. Um, honestly, Mike, I'm still just scratching my head as to why Mungia and Golden Boy are not lining up to fight this guy. I'm just not convinced that he's mm. he's that much better than Mungia, and the fact that Golden Boy and Mungia don't step up. It's just really head scratching to say the least. Um, they should be asking for that fight sooner rather than later. There's no reason to let Janabek get better than he is right now. I think you should strike right now while you have the ability to get him, maybe when he's not a hundred percent at his, you know, peak. But I don't know, that's just me. Um with the uh Estrada fight, Mike, um, I agree. I hope that top rank Gives her three or four fights next year. Her sitting out a whole year, really, you know, you could you could see it in the fight. She was pretty rusty, but eventually she was just too good for the, the girl that she fought. Um, the thing is, though, Mike, does she really have options at that weight class at 105 pounds? Yeah. Like, what legitimate fighters can she fight that would be big fights? There's nothing that's like a big fight. But she'd have to travel, dude. Because I want to say most of the fighters in that weight class are probably going to be Japanese. I want to double check the ratings real quick. But I'm looking at oh, these names. Okay. It's there's actually an atom weight division in women's boxing. But yeah, I'm looking at the names. Yeah, she's going to have to travel, dude. I just looking at the names here. There's just not many American yeah. fighters. And even if she goes up to like one, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking because, I mean, I don't know too many girls that are in that weight class that she could legitimately make a big fight against, which is sad, but, I mean, who knows? Maybe she might have to move up and then eventually get bigger names to, to fight her in order to become the star that she wants to become. Mm -hmm. um, and then with the uh, Spark love card, I was actually going to say that, Mike, before you brought it up. The rule does say that they could have just deducted the two points and let the fight go on, especially since Spark didn't get hurt and he ran back in the ring. I was a little bit surprised. I really thought Fields would just deduct the two points and let the fight keep going. But, I mean, like you said, hey, maybe in his judgment call, he felt like he needed to disqualify Love for the dirty tactic of throwing him over the rope, and maybe that was just enough to say, you know what, yeah, this fight's over. Like, I can't. I can't let this guy try to do something like that again as the fight goes on. And then people will be saying, Oh, why didn't you stop the fight after the first time? So, you know, I think I don't have a problem with the call. 
I agree, Mike. I think Spark was winning that fight. It was close, but I yeah. think he was winning that fight. And I think his roughhouse tactics uh, got to Love, and Love just didn't know what to do. And his corner was just incompetent. They they had no answer for Spark's tactics, which is really weird because you would think that in the corner of a professional fighter, you would have guys that would at least know basic boxing instructions and knowledge that they could kind of see what Spark was doing and try to, you know, let yeah, the fighter like, know. Like They hey, had to see that style in the amateurs because Love had a lot yeah. of amateur fights. There's no doubt he saw that style in the amateurs. Yeah, I mean, that's the part that was just confusing. It's like, how does your corner not know how to counter what Spark was doing? It's mm -hmm. not like it's not like he was doing something they had never seen before. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it's just strange. But ideally, I think there is going to be a rematch. Something tells me that they're going to pay Spark a lot of money to take that rematch, which if if I'm him, I would do it too. I'd mm -hmm. be like, hell yeah, pay me, pay me a bunch of money and I'll fight this guy again and I think I can beat him, yeah. you know? So I'm sure that's what's going to probably end up happening. And then uh, with Mungia fighting this weekend, Mike, I don't know what they're doing with that with that guy's career. La at this time last year, he fought Gabe Rosado, and a lot of us thought he was going to be getting a title shot next. And the fact that a, literally a year later, he's still fighting tune-ups and, and stay busy fights, that's just a horrible look for him and his, and his career. I really hope the kid eventually puts his foot down and starts telling Zanfer and Golden Boy, like, hey, I'm not going to keep fighting these stiffs, um, you know, all the time. Like, I want to fight for a title. Like, it makes no sense for him to be fighting stay busy fights at this point. The guy's fought 40 times in his career. He's more than ready. He's pretty much a finished product at this point. I don't understand the idea of protecting that record. Like, let him go out there and prove how good he really is or if he's going to be shown for a guy who just, you know, he's just a guy. Mm -hmm. But at some point, they got to get him a legitimate fight. I'm tired of these uh, stay busy and tune-up fights enough. Like, let's get this guy in there with some names. And I really hope the politics don't prevent him from eventually getting a name. Ideally, Janabek would be great. And Top Rank and Golden Boy have done business in the past. So hopefully that is a fight that can be made uh, sooner rather than later. So... All right, Mike. I'll talk to you uh, next time. All right. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Yeah, man. Yeah, so a uh, comment from uh, – or a uh, super chat from Sam. Uh, back to Anthony Yard. He said, uh, BoxRec has Anthony Yard fighting this week. And I'm looking at it right here, and I'm, I'm seeing it too. Uh, but I wonder if this is just an error. I, I don't know because I haven't heard about this. Here, I'll show you guys real quick what, uh, what Sam's talking about. Um, Cause that's weird, man. So if you look right here, uh, Frank Warren has a show this weekend and it's, you know, not a very big show, but it, let's see, where is it? Shropshire. Never heard of Shropshire, but, uh, it's on BT sport over there in the UK and they got Anthony yard right here going up against Stefani Koikov at light heavy. That's just very odd. And I wonder if there's another Anthony Yard or if this is some sort of mistake. Because as far as I know, he has a tune-up fight. Or I'm sorry, a, a, a title fight next. 
I want to say his fight was it London Arthur. Uh, I can't remember which fight were that he won. That was uh, uh, um, an eliminator. I want to say it was when he fought London Arthur. That last fight uh, that was last year, but he has not fought at all this year. So perhaps they're putting him in there like a stay busy fight against this guy, Stefani Koikov. And I pull up his record. He is a Bulgarian based in Germany, five foot nine yards going to tower over that dude. Uh, he's fought absolutely nobody. I mean, his, his opponents are like guys that I would fight. So um, yeah. <clears throat> so I, I guess he's going to fight this weekend to stay busy, dude, and knock some rust off, which makes sense. If you're going to fight better be of next Sam with another super chat uh, is basically a great point. It was Mills Lane did not stop after an ear was bitten off. <laughs> he didn't stop a fight. Uh, Mike Tyson famously biting Evander Holyfield's, heel, uh, F- Holyfield's ear off. That's true. It, uh, man, it's just the image of uh, Holyfield like jumping up and down and like in a circle and like screaming like, what the hell, dude? It's basically was saying, it's like, what the hell is your problem, bro? And uh, But you're right. It wasn't stopped right there. They did continue to fight after that, but then he went for another bite. It's funny you bring that up because I guess now Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield are in the gummies business and they're selling ear-shaped gummies together. The way this shit comes full circle, bro, life is just funny, man. Life is just funny. Anthony Santiago with the Super Chat. Thank you, Ant. He said, what's up, Mike and Chat? What's up with the IBF making Hergovich mandatory for Usyk's belt? Yeah, I saw that. Would that prevent a Fury fight? Triple G laid the blueprint for becoming a star. Don't know why it's not copied with uh, Janibek. Yeah, so um, let's start with the IBF. So uh, Hergovich, mandatory for Alexander Usyk. They announced that this week. In the IBF, for better or worse, they stick by their rules. And this is a ruling that they made, and he's got to fight Hergovich. So as I understand it, for Usyk and Fury to fight, if they were to fight next, uh, well, after Fury beats Chisora for the 400th time. After that, if Usyk and Fury fight next year, like in the spring, I think the IBF would be stripped. So I don't know if there's a chance that Usyk could pay Hergovich some step-aside money. Maybe something like that could be worked out where Hergovich would get the winner. Maybe that could be worked out. I don't know. But as I understand the IBF rules, um, Usyk would be stripped if they go right into a Usyk Fury fight. For my money, I, I hope that's what happens. I don't give a shit about the belts. And a lot of you guys, you love the idea of undisputed, and I get that. Trust me, it looks awesome. It's an awesome accomplishment, right? But you guys know as well as anybody that not all undisputeds are equal. You know, uh, what Canelo Alvarez did at 168 to me wasn't as special as what Usyk did at 200 because 168 was a pretty weak division that Canelo cleaned out. Uh, Terrence Crawford at 140, his undisputed run at 140 was a lot weaker than uh, Josh Taylor's run because 140 was just a better division when Taylor did it. So there are all different levels to this. Um, You know, so if that IBF belt gets taken away, and Fury and Usyk still fight. As far as I'm concerned, that's for the legitimate championship of the world, and I don't give a shit about the belts. But I hear you. I know because you guys want Undisputed because it's just clean, right? All the belts. 
Well, perhaps something could be worked out with Hergovich. Now, um, as far as Triple G laying the blueprint of becoming a star, I completely agree with you. There was a little bit of like what they call lightning in a bottle in that situation where Tom Loeffler kind of had some freedoms to work with different people because of how he's positioned in the sport. He's not a huge promoter. So they were able to kind of work with different people and do one-offs and stuff. They also had the HBO machine behind them and HBO was starving for stars, especially guys that were action packed uh, because they had a mass exodus, you know, a couple of years before or, or was like right around that time where a lot of their guys just jumped ship and went over to Showtime and the whole PBC thing happened. Right. And the whole thing with Richard Schaefer and all that. So um, it's just <clears throat> right place, right time and right guy who was willing to take really short money, six figures. This guy was a champion. He could have sat in his ass, fought once a year, and got a million plus dollar paydays. But he got in there and he took you know a few hundred thousand, gave the opponent a few hundred thousand. Basically, was covering training costs and he was paying his guys. That's what Golovkin did for a while. And other fighters from that part of the world have had to go that route too. Uh, Sergey Kovalev basically fought for free for several years. The only money he did get, and it was you know a few, it was five figures. It wasn't even six figures. He was given to his team. So. Um, it's just how you got to do it. Sometimes you got to make those concessions. And I don't know much about Janabek. I just don't know him. I haven't talked to him. So maybe he is just not willing to do that. Maybe top break isn't willing to do that. I don't know what the situation is. Do not know. I am. I caught up, caught up. Oh, we got one more. Uh, and with another one. Thanks again. And says better be fighter from Mexico, Zerdo or Mungia. Ooh, good question. Honestly, dude, we don't know right now, man. Um, look, Mungia has shown some improvement. We have to give him credit. I do think he has shown some improvement recently. And um, I don't know if Zerto's ever shown any kind of improvement. So I'm going to give Mungia the edge here, but I could be totally wrong, bro. Could be totally wrong. But I, as of now, I'm going to give Mungia the edge and say that he's got a little more levels than Zerto. But I could be totally incorrect on that. All right, back to the phones we go. Let's go to France. Is this Johnny? Bonjour. Bonjour, Bonjour Mike. How, How you doing? You? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I'm doing good. doing great. Hey, Mike, congratulations, first of all, because uh, it's great. <laughs> congratulations for, for, your, for your new family, for Jack, and she's uh, very cute. I saw the pictures. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Twitter, so congratulations. And you, you will run. You, you, sorry, you, you will run. You, you're not going to sleep again. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to sleep again. <laughs> sleep is never going to be the same at all. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Trust me. I can tell you. So I hope you, you enjoyed your sleep back then, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's going to be a long, long sleepless night for a while. Uh, and uh, so congrats, Mike, so much. And um, just wanted to, to, to come back for uh, on the Bivol fight, because uh, obviously it was a great fight from, uh, from last week. And, uh, and really, I was really impressed by, with Bivol's skills, but... Um, Mostly what happened is that uh, no um, people are sleeping on better BF. And uh, I still find uh, better BF to be, to be more dangerous. I think I still think better BF beats him, you know? People are sleeping on better, better BF, really. I saw Jack on Twitter 
And even, he even said that uh, Canelo would stop that BS. So it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with that. You think uh, you see that? Canelo is never, you know, nobody stops uh, that BS. So it's uh, really like th- th- those fighters, uh, Russian fighters, that are overlooked. Devil has been overlooked, and better BF is a criminally overlooked, you know. And uh, with a better BF, every every blow hurts, you know. Every 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 fifty lands, it hurts bigly. Mm-hmm. It hurts a lot, and uh, I still think he's, he's the most uh, dangerous fighter in the division. I think uh, I think he beats Devil. Yeah, that's, uh, that seems what to be what think, most Mike? people think. I, I think most people still favor. Um, better be in that fight, but it's close, and I want to see it. I hope we get it. The thing is that uh, people they tend to I, I have people tend to, to favor Bevel because he's a better boxer. He's slick. He, he goes in and out. He masters the distance. That's right. But um, better BF is overlooked as a boxer. Mm. He's a great boxer, you know. And uh, he's a great boxer as well. He, he also managed distance. And you see, with uh, just his fights, you know, he's, uh, he just folded the guy in two rounds. You know? Yeah. Because, you know, every, every, every blow up. So I, I think Bivol is going to be, you know, uh, very crafty as he is. He's going to be as he is in the first round. But um, I don't think he can handle that for 12 rounds because every, you know, Every 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 blow landing will have like so much, you know. And uh, better day if was stopping guys uh, with helmets uh, and big gloves at the amateur level. Mm-hmm. It broke uh, it broke Rosic uh, nose in the amateur. <laughs> you know, bet everybody in the amateur already. He bet Kovalev, he bet Rosic, uh, he bet uh, even bet Dorticos. The cruiserweight, you know. You yeah. hear that? He's just a yeah, strong guy. Um, man. I think I think he might be the strongest guy, but strongest man in boxing, just pound for pound. He is just a strong man. I guess he is because uh, they put him to fight as an amateur in the heavyweight uh, rankings, and he was not a heavyweight, uh, heavyweight at all. You no, know? the fact that he still makes uh, uh, one seventy five so easily at his age. He's not a big guy. He's not a big frame, but he's got this. Uh, you know, just the, the muscle density that uh, yeah. is so hard, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's strange. It's a natural strength. And, and also his training, people should look after his training because his training is based on very natural gesture. But, uh, uh, you know, all the work with the with the fingers, with the phalanges, right. all those work, you know, very, very natural, very weight based on the weight, you know, on the body weight. It's uh, something to look after, and just one uh, one one thing about the uh, Spark Love fight. Uh, the thing is, uh, what I I didn't really look at the fight, but I saw the, the last uh, rounds of the fight, and it looked like uh, Love wanted a way out. You know, mm. it, it looks like this. So I think it was the best way to to stop the fight because uh, that's that's a gesture. You, you can't that's a gesture that you you can admit in a ring. You know. It's like, uh, and uh, basically, he wasn't using his feet, his feet, sorry. He wasn't, uh, was, he was uh, trying to, to get the way out, not to, to use it, to, to punch his way out, you know. So, um, basically, it was a good call. And I I think he can improve, of course, but uh, in this fight, it was like he was helpless. He really needed to ch- change his uh, game and, uh, and maybe his team also. 
And um, just one last thing, Mike, and I'll be off. Um, the thing with Jenny Beck, you know. Uh, the thing with Jenny Beck, uh, I think um, the, the Kazakh guy, you know, Jenny Beck. Um, the thing is, everybody wants to get the new Golovkin. Yeah. So it, it's a... Uh, it's not gonna be it's gonna be fun so easily. People need to realize that uh, you got the guy that's never been done, never been out. He's still forty, fighting champions. It's one of kind. There's not gonna be another Golovkin for twenty years, you know. Agreed. And uh, it's been Medvedev, it's been Berchuk, it's been uh, uh, Jenny Beck, and nobody's done um, nobody's done the done the feet you know <laughs> nobody's getting in the feet right. and uh, people need to, to let go and they need to admit that uh, Golovkin is special because also it's a two, two-faced coin you know they always want to find the, the, the new Golovkin better Golovkin and uh, because they don't want to pay the tribute to the man they got to pay tribute to the man if, if 40 is still here most of the boxers uh, he faced in a uh, have been out for a while now, and he's, he's still here at 40, and he's fight champions. He's, he's uh, holding his own in the, in the ring with Canelo. He's holding uh, he stops the bigger champions in the Murata. Yeah, we, we're talking about him to fight. Uh, look at what people do most of the time at 40. They're not doing that at all. And all yeah, that we want to get, uh, close <laughs> Most to people at 40 are getting yeah. fat. And <clears throat> um, the people... Most of boxers they tend to retire much earlier, and oh, yeah. when they retire uh, around 35, they're all they're all being stopped several times, mostly, or even uh, several times. This guy is 40, he's still going on at the biggest level because he's a champion in his weight, not the best uh, weight class, obviously, but he's still a champion, mm-hmm. and um, it's never been hurt, really. No? Yeah, I agree. You you got uh, got hurt a little bit with body shots, but that's yeah, not I was going to say, you get hurt to the body, but never to the head, never. Yeah, and, and the body, it's like uh, nobody likes to get <laughs> to get punched in the, in the guts, right? You know, yeah. it's not uh, unusual to to wince after a body shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just dumb. So um, it's it's a uh, you you. You, you won't find another girl skin for years to come. Anyway, thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Right. See you. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank have you, a Mike. good one, brother. Here we go. It's good stuff, Johnny. Good stuff, man. Johnny is our French consultant here on the Montero Unboxing Channel. On, on the neutral corner, Johnny is our French consultant. We've got Canadian consultants, French consultants. I love it. UK consultants. We've had calls from all over the world in the show, man. It's pretty awesome. It really is. <clears throat> love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, Sam A with another super chat. Thanks once again, Sam. And he says, uh, Muratio or Raymond Muratala is, uh, Muratalia, I should say, is going to be um, a star real soon. He improved to 16 and 0 with 13 knockouts on uh, the top rank show this weekend. Yeah, man, out of the Southern California, <clears throat> in the good gyms, good size for the lightweight division, 13 knockouts in the 16 pro fights, yeah, uh, amateur background, uh, really checks all the boxes, 25 years old. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see the kid develop a little bit more. He didn't have an extensive amateur career, 
but he did have some amateur fights. Um, they're going to bring him up the right way. You know, they, they know what they're doing over there. Uh, top rank, man. They're going to continue to build this kid up the right way. So let's see. Uh, we caught up on everything because I think we got some more calls. You guys are asking for the numbers. It's right behind me. Can you not see? I know some of you are just listening. <clears throat> By the way, the numbers are on my Twitter profile. They're on the bottom of the screen here and the back of the screen behind me. Let's uh, jump to, oh, we got Thad here. Let's get Thad on the line. Uh, Thad, what's up, brother? How you doing? Hey, Mike, I thought you calling because I think there's an oversight with the Stevie Spark uh, debacle nobody's been mentioning. But um, before I get to that, you know, uh, talking about Golovkin, there never will be another Golovkin. And it's like they used to compare Harold Miner coming out of USC as a college basketball player to Michael Jordan just because he had a that. bald head. Baby Jordan. And, yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, baby Jordan. I mean, you, you can't – it's unfair to John Beck. I mean, there's not going to be another Golovkin. You know, a guy with that kind of precision, power, and chin, and – and style it it's not fair so uh i know we all want that you know but we're it's just it's unfair and i'll, I'll do respect to john Abeck. i think he did play a little you know possum i don't think he rushed in wanted to get some work in. and he had a lot of ring rust i, I mentioned this to another boxing insider uh, i said hey don't you think this fight's gonna go rounds they're like no it's gonna be a, a, a destruction i said well i don't know it doesn't look like it to me i think it's gonna go late but um i, I was i was shocked that he didn't get rid of him um, when Buddy McGirt said, Hey, you're, you need this round. Um, the bet MGM site had him as a, a 20 to one favorite at that point. So technically he didn't need the round, you know, but, um, but the, the cards were close, but McGirt was right on. Um, and he blitzed them and I, I thought he could have taken him out. I really, I really did. And it looked like he held back a little bit. That's just my opinion. Um, with, uh, the Stevie spark incident now, I knew Stevie Spark. I, I researched him when he fought Zoo because I, I was betting the fight. I had a lot invested, and I was afraid that maybe this guy might pull a Rocky, moving up two weights and maybe catch someone off guard. And, you know, he had a resume with nobodies, but he never really had a, a training camp. He was a bartender, a full-time bartender. Hmm. And I think that just based off that, you should have him on the show. I think you should have him as a call-in to talk about his life and how it led up to this because – I'll be honest, I think this, he's a great example of boxing and what it can do to change your life if you take risks. He got a call while he was bartending. In, in 10 days, he could fight Tim Zhu to move up to weight classes. He did. It was, it was basically no risk except if you take a beating, you know, that's the only risk. He didn't. He, he got out of there in the third round. All right, he put up a good fight. He saved the show because I think Michael Zarafo was the guy that bowed out the last minute. Oh, now I remember. Pulled, like Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah. Yeah, he forgot his pen. Something yeah, like, like Chris that. Eubank yeah. Jr. against Golovkin. Okay. So he stepped in just like Kel Brook stepped in. But in, instead of Kel Brook losing his career, Stevie Spark got this opportunity to fight Montana Love. Hmm. That opportunity propelled him with more money in his bank account to be able to train full-time. He got three fights, and he knocked out a guy who was a title contender you know, very early. And he's a big 140-pounder, so I had my eye on this guy. And I just didn't think he'd get a fair shake over in Cleveland, so I stayed away from the fight. Otherwise, I probably would have taken him. But um, I, I thought at least it would go the distance. Now, during the fight, second round, boom, strafed him with the right hand. Montana Love was hurt. He was getting bullied. In his corner, at the end of second round, I turned up the volume, and his corner said, when this guy gets inside on you, 
You hold him, you do whatever you got to do to tie him up. That was his corner. They did not want him messing on the inside. That told me right there that, that this guy's physicality was, was a problem. And then um, in the fifth round, Spark hurt him badly. Won that round clear. And then at the early onset of the sixth, they had the headbutt. So Montana Love goes walking up to the doctor, and the referee was standing right by him. He could hear. He was within earshot. He said, I can't see. Right. I can't see. Right. Well, the doctor said, all right, well, I'm going to have to – I think you mentioned this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go. People saying that he should have deducted points, yeah, that would have worked. But the thing is, the fight was over anyway. And the referee knew that. Like, he, he knew that was the last round regardless. It was a blatant error, and he, his judgment said that this is a disqualification. If it went to the cards, it would have been a draw, but with the points taken away, okay, Spark would have won. So either way, that outcome was not in doubt. Spark was going to win whether, whether it would be disqualification or by technical decision, okay? It just would have changed the betting outcome on that fight because Spark was an underdog. He was a 7-1 underdog, and, you know, uh, people who took them would it, it would have changed the outcome on that, but um, that would have been the only difference. <laughs> so, you know, again, I think the ref made the right the right decision based off the information he knew that the fight wasn't going to continue. And I think the caller brought up the fact that Spark was probably going to be at a disadvantage with uh, Montana Love trying to get himself disqualified. If he didn't stop it, then what was next? Because we all remember Mills Lane. One bite, you know, is fair. Two bites, you're out. Just like a like in his courts, he said a dog bite. The dog bites twice, it's over. You know, they I think they're gonna put him down. Mm-hmm. One bite, they let him go. Well, I don't think he was gonna give Montana love the second bite. Just mm-hmm. like Holyfield got against Tyson. Gotcha. So I think he read the situation well, evaluated it, and that was that. I don't think it would have changed the outcome at all. I think the people that paid for the fight, you know, it sucks that they you know, didn't get their money's worth because the fight didn't continue, but that's on love. That's on, on, on his corner who, you know, made a ruckus about the tactics earlier in the fight that you mentioned. And by all any means, he wasn't Andre Ward in there. Right. You know, that's just, you know, rough stuff. He's just coming in there and he's, he wants to make a fight of it. But my assessment of Stevie Spark is this. He's a guy who took a risk and he got rewarded. I think more people should do what he did. Because it's not about losses. It's about exposure. He got great exposure against Tim Zhu, and he parlayed that into a life-changing event. Believe me, his life has changed. He's no longer a bartender. Mm-hmm. You know, He's a full-time fighter. And I think people that are protecting records, sitting around, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop like Boots Ennis, he's sitting around waiting for, for Spence and Crawford to happen, and he's not fighting. These guys are just dying on the vine. You know, they're not, it's not, it's not good for boxing. Stevie Sparks is good for boxing. He reminded me of a young Arturo Gatti when he knocked out Pete Taliaferro on USA Tuesday Night Fights. He had a loss on his resume, you know, against Taliaferro, um, against the guy, King Solomon. They brought him in to lose to Taliaferro. He knocked him out in one round. I'm like, wow, look at this guy. Then he got a title shot against Tracy Harris Patterson in his hometown at Madison Square Garden. It was on the undercard of a big fight, and, and that fight stole the show. He went the distance, and Gaddy beat Harris Patterson on the cards, and, and Gaddy became a star. And with that kind of style and excitement, that's what boxing needs. 
we, we, we don't have any more um, Mickey Wards or Arturo Gaddis. You don't have to be, you know, a supremely skilled and, you know, top level talent to become, you know, a, a superstar in boxing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes all you need is a style, right. heart, will, and to take risks to get in there with anybody at any time and fight. So with that being said, I would love to see Stevie Spark get these opportunities. I know he's not like your consummate um, A-level talent, but hey, who's to say he's never had a, a full-time boxing camp until now? So he's a big guy for 140. I'd love to see more of him, and I'd love to see this rematch. Because Styles make fights, and I, I think he bullies the shit out of Montana Love. And I wouldn't be shocked if, if Love said the hell with that. I don't, I don't want any part of it. I, I just don't see Montana Love having that type of character, you know, to, you know, to fight this guy like that. I think it's going to be, you know, he wants to look to somebody who he could beat. Because, you know, that one thing about bo- pure boxers, they hate pressure fighters. They hate guys with power that comes at them. I mean, that, that screamed to me, you know, upset. So, I don't know, what would you have to say about some of that? Did uh, were the some of the gaps filled in there, or I think um, I don't know what you're thinking. I think that I, I Stevie Sparks definitely be back on the zone real soon, whether it's against Montana Love or just another one of these matchroom cards. He's going to be on there um, because, like you said, you know he he was exciting. He brought the fight, and he did better than people thought. I want to see the rematch too. I just don't think they're going to go to Australia yeah. for that. They're going to come back to America. Oh, absolutely not. And I just hope that the kid gets paid. And like you said, you know, it's life changing. Um, yeah. What if he comes over yeah. here and he gets, you know, high six figures or something like that over there, you know, that's, that's, that is going to change his life. He could buy a home or something like that. And um, he'll have a name over there, especially if he comes over and beats love again uh, but even if he does it and it's just a good competitive fight it shows that he's you know a guy at 140 to keep an eye on and uh he's going to make for some interesting fights so yeah his life has changed man he so will. that's a feel-good story i didn't know all that he, about him I, I admit i've been you know oh i've been off the grid lately man i haven't been paying attention a whole lot oh, I, so, I, yeah. I, I understand <laughs> that's all i want to fill in that's all i want to fill in some gaps for you and there's one more thing i forgot to mention Stevie spark turned down you know, when he signed that matchroom contract, he, he just signed with, with Hearn. Hearn wanted to give him like a, you know, a gimme in Australia, like a showcase fight. Mm-hmm. He said, no, I want the Montana love fight. I want to fight this guy in his hometown. Give me that fight. He requested that fight. That's awesome. So, so he never would have been there. That shit don't happen much in boxing of, these know. days. That does not happen much. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, you know, it paid off again. So... You know, this is like a win-win for boxing. We, we we see a guy come from nothing, maybe with some star talent that we're not seeing because he's never had a training camp. Now, remember a guy named Darnell Boone? Of course. All right? I met this Darnell. guy was obscure. Yeah, he was obscure. He ended up, he knocked out Adonis Stevenson. Mm-hmm. He floored Andre he, Ward. That's badly. right. I thought he almost beat Ward. He dropped Ward. I thought he, he was, got dropped uh, on the decision. I've yeah. been in the gym with him. He's He was up at... Uh, Big Bear for a while, training with Golovkin. That was up there. He's an awesome guy. You're right. He did. Awesome. He guy. was. Yeah. yeah. He had a lot to say about. He said Golovkin was, you know, was a special fighter that he would have beaten Ward and Kovalev and mm-hmm. Stevenson on their best days. He sparred him. 
and and he um he almost beat Kovalev. You know, he lost in the rematch pretty bad, but he probably should have won that first fight against Kovalev. So this guy was in with everybody. He never had a backing. He never had finances behind him. And in boxing, that matters. People have talked about that before. That if you have money, and, and Paulie Malnagy even said it about Devin Haney. Haney was given opportunities because he had money. His his father had money in order to to float him, you know, so they can take those types of gimme fights and not have to be thrown in to the fire. You know, you're able to develop yourself. Now, with Spark, he was able to do that with the money he got from the Tim Zoo fight. So he parlayed that into his career. He didn't just go buy a house. He no, he invested in himself in order to pay to stake his way as a full time fighter now. So I think it's a, a feel good story. And I think it's a lesson for young upcoming fighters like Darnell Boones, who never got to realize their full potential because they never had finance, you know, to, to stake themselves to have a full time boxing camp and go in as not just cannon fodder on 10 days notice. Because right. that matters. Right. When you're called up, you know, on 10 days notice, you're coming to lose and you're probably not going to get a decision, you know? Right. So these are lessons that, you know, people in the boxing industry need to take a look at and learn from. So that'd be great if you had Stevie Spark on, on your show. I know it's a long call. For, yeah. You know, I don't know if I can get him on the show stuff, live, but, uh, but I could definitely get an interview with him on the channel. So yeah, I can look into that for sure. That'd be great. Yeah. He seems like a, like a personable guy too. And he got, and he's a class guy after that fight. He was saying, wow, what a landing. I, I can't believe I stuck yeah, that landing. He, like he, he handled that negative. Yeah, he handled that situation very well. He even thanked Montana Love for the opportunity. I was like, wow, a lot. Of, I I wouldn't have yeah. responded that well. I would have been trying to beat the <laughs> shit out of the guy. So, so he, I was. He's like a born politician. Yeah. yeah yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and before I let you go, Mike. Um. Yeah. From the last caller about Bivol and Baturbiev, and I was looking forward to that fight for so long, but I think it's going to look like uh, Golovkin versus Canelo two. Um, we saw the best of Baturbiev against Gavadze against years ago. And like Golovkin, you know, his prime was fleeting in America. We didn't see the best Golovkin because he was over in Europe and he aged out. Unfortunately, same thing with Baturbiev. He's going to be about 37, 38 years old when he fights Bivol. Bivol is now in his prime. He's entering his prime, physical and, and professionally. So it's like two, two ships passing in the night. You've got one going off the reservation and one going, you know, right to the, uh, you know, to, to the, uh, the pot of gold. And unfortunately this fight right now favors Bibble and he, and he's a slight favorite on the betting line. It opened up. He's like minus minus one thirty, and, and, and Baturbi is, Baturbi is, is like even money at one plus 100, but you'd have to put up about 130 bucks to win a hundred on uh, Bibble. And if you bet a hundred on Baturbi, if you win back exactly a hundred. So, He's a slight, the slightest of all slight favorites. So it's like a pick them. So if you want to, you know, I compare it, it to other things. Uh, That's the kind of matchups I yeah. love, man. Oh. I still want to see it. Pick them fights. Mm-hmm. Pick them fights, right? And then like Crawford, he's he's a 15-1 favorite over Avanesian. <laughs> so, you, you know, you have these coin flip fights versus like walkover, pushover fights. Like, you know, it, it's it's crazy. Oh, um, I'm going to get off, but I want to hear your comment about the IBF. Why hasn't Spence had a mandatory since Ocampo and uh, Charlo have, hasn't had a, a mandatory in years as well? Why do they get to shun a mandatory from the IBF for three, four or five years 
while the IBF now is up Usyk's ass and they want him to fight as mandatory, they stripped Golovkin and Canelo. I mean, it, there seems to be a double standard played here. In, that, in the IBF, they're complicit. Oh, Something's yeah. really wrong. That's really that's Very a really wrong. interesting question, man, because when you brought up Spence, I was thinking, well, maybe it's because he's the unified champion because um, I think like the WBC <laughs> mandatory is supposed to take precedent. But I remember at heavyweight, Fury got stripped of the IBF um, when he had to do the rematch with Vladimir. They immediately stripped him. Yeah. Um, and that's how Charles Martin ended up with that belt. It, it was immediate. Right. I mean, I feel like it was within a month or so. Within a year. Yeah. Yeah. Year. Very, very quickly. And, uh, you know, Fury had the rematch with Vlad that was locked solid in the contract. He had to go that route. So you're right. It, that That's a really interesting one because Spence has not had a mandatory in a minute. That's a nope. really good question. And and they, and they did, and they did that with Canelo and then they gave Golovkin a hard time. You're right. Well. So they they've went, been, yeah, they've been, they've been stripping the hell out of these Mexican and, and Eastern European fighters. But when it comes to American fighters, uh, they let they let you know they're splitting hairs because uh, well the IBF is a, is an American belt yep organization yep so this is the first time I'm seeing bias though like outright bias it's Charlo and Spence they haven't had an IBF mandatory in years hmm. so something stinks in Denmark let me tell you interesting and we all know who that is <laughs> <laughs> we all know who that is so I'll let you with that Mike and all uh, right, man. you know. Great show as always. Take All right, care. thanks, Dad. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, All right, there he goes, man. That's a great point with the IBF. I didn't even think about that. Um, real quick, I, I'm going to jump off here. Uh, we've been at almost two hours, but I just want to read a couple of great comments here from Nacho. You guys are awesome, man. I'll, just this show has great callers and great, great chat. I mean, just you guys always bring up such great points, man, all the time. But Nacho said, um, you know, we were talking about uh, Thad was just talking about guys like Darnell Boone. And then uh, Stevie Spark just made his mark. I did not mean to make that rhyme. But Nacho, to that point, he says, you know, that's why guys like Orlando Salido, Glenn Johnson, et cetera, should never be called bums because they lost a lot, but they were entertaining to watch and became world champions. And um, they were willing to fight everybody, right? Uh, Glenn Johnson, one of my favorites. What a great guy. I've actually never met Orlando Salido, but Glenn Johnson is just a good dude. And I remember um, word for word after the Roy Jones fight, he said, I'm not the best. I'm just willing to fight the best. I mean, to hear a fighter say that minutes after scoring the biggest win of his career, that tells you how humble that man is. Uh, just an awesome, awesome guy. And um, it, again, fighters like that, dude, when I met Darnell Boone up at Big Bear in the gym, and we, we just shot the shit and talked for a while before everyone came in to work out. We were just in there. My wife was with me. Uh, we talked to him. He just cool guy, just a super cool, humble guy. And then uh, Gennady came in. Uh, I don't know who else was there that day. Uh, Najib Mohammedi was there. There was a couple other guys. But um, you could just tell that they had a really good rapport together. And, um, and again, just super humble, awesome person, just a cool guy. Uh, Michael Mindiola with a, a great comment here, too, that I think is important to bring up. He said, um, fighters in development usually have to buy the fights, especially if they're good fighters. I work with a few kids who have literally received a dollar for a fight purse. That was not a typo, a dollar. 
Mike, same thing here. I talk to guys all the time and you see that. Um, and you see it in the amateurs. I, I, it's not supposed to happen, but I have seen uh, under the table guys go. Uh, and, and, and again, this isn't at the international level because that's all, you know, um, you can't really choose who you fight. But there are, there are guys who have trouble sometimes um, getting an opponent at some of these smaller shows, these local shows. And they have to literally pay it like one gym will pay another gym like, hey, or they'll, they'll, they'll work out some kind of side deal. Where it's like, hey, man, bring some of your guys from your gym. We're having an event here at my gym. We're going to do a, you know an event um, and we need fighters and we keep having dudes pull out. If you have your fighters come in for this, we'll help you on, you know, on this show later on. There's always some kind of wheeling and dealing just to get guys to show up, you know, because you're not paying anybody, at least officially. Um, so those sorts of things happen way more than people realize. I know you already know that. But then at the pro level, you're actually paying dudes. So you will get an opponent, but sometimes you got to, you know, pony up the dough. And if you're talking, you know, four rounders, six rounders, the pay scale isn't very high. So, yeah, I've seen a bunch of times, man, where um, young kids that are just getting started, they're literally getting a dollar because the entire purse allocated for that fight goes to the opponent just to get guys in the ring with them. That happens a lot, bro. Uh, just one of those things that a lot of fans don't think about, maybe don't don't know about, but it's part of this game. All right, guys, awesome show, man. Awesome, awesome show. Running up on two hours. I enjoy talking to you guys. If I have the stamina and the energy Friday, we'll do a show. My only thing, guys, there's just not a whole lot to talk about. But um, you guys always have great stuff. So so maybe we'll do a show Friday and just hang out. But we'll definitely do a, do a show next Monday, okay, for, for Thanksgiving uh, week. Because there is some good stuff that we're looking forward to next weekend to preview. All right. Have a great uh, night or day, wherever part of the world that you're in. And uh, do your feet. Spread the word about the show, okay? Appreciate it, guys. Peace.